Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. Today is our second week on our value of spiritual formation, and it comes at a really good time. Um, It's been a tough week. Uh, It's been a tough eight weeks uh, for so many different reasons. Uh, So it's just the right time to make that transition from talking about our heads, our value of biblical literacy, to our hearts, the value of spiritual formation. Sabrina shared uh, last week something really important, uh, something really, really personal but really important, Um, and I want to read it to you. She was reflecting on her own journey from biblical literacy to spiritual formation and how that transformation happened in her. And here's, here's what she said. She said, in those years when I attended every Bible study, I think I did that because I was searching for something deeper in my faith. I was trying to learn enough. I was trying to be good enough. And what I really needed to do was receive God's forgiveness for me. It turns out that he had already forgiven me the first time I asked him, but I hadn't been willing to receive it, to feel like I was somehow worthy of it. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. She felt unworthy of God's love and forgiveness. So in her own words, what did she do? She said that she tried But she tried to learn. She tried to be good enough. She tried to do things on her own. You know, right off the start, I want to share with you what I think is probably the most difficult truth of the Christian faith. The thing that is harder for us to accept, even than the idea that God created everything, even harder for us to accept than the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead. You see, I think the hardest truth in the Christian faith is the truth that you can't fix yourself. You see, the problem deep within us, the problem that Genesis 3 describes, the broken images of God that we have become, we are incapable of fixing that problem. We're incapable of repairing the broken image of God within us. Only God himself can repair his image bearers. Now, of course, we can work really hard and we can work hard to improve ourselves in some ways, our bodies, our minds, our habits, and that's all fine. But it's not Christianity. Christianity is not self-help. It's not the practice of self-improvement. Honestly, Christianity is the practice of self-surrender giving up, trying it for ourselves and starting to allow God to transform us from within. So over time, God has worked that out with Sabrina. If you missed her sermon last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to hear how that story ends. 
But all of this makes me wonder, why is it that we are unable or unwilling to receive God's love and forgiveness? Why do we think that we are capable of fixing what's wrong with us? Why do we get stuck in this cycle of guilt and shame, this dreaded unworthiness that can even cause us to run away and hide from the very God that we know and want desperately to love? So I wanna show you an image that's really helped me at least understand what's been happening in me throughout my life. And so many of you know, we've been summing up the story of scripture. This is really it in a nutshell. There's an act of creation. And then almost immediately, three chapters into the story, sin and shame and selfishness, they enter into creation through God's image bearers. Jesus' work on the cross, his resurrection, it repairs that broken image and reconciles us in relationship with God. That's the gospel. So most of you have come that far. You accept that much of the story. But the question is, what happens next? Where does the story go from there? So let's listen to Paul's words. This is from 2 Corinthians 5. And let's see if he can help us break the cycle of sin and shame and unworthiness so that we can truly be restored and reconciled with our loving creator and redeemer. And the version that I'm gonna read actually comes from a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. This is his translation of 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through chapter six, verse one. And it goes like this. From this moment on, therefore, we don't regard anybody from a merely human point of view. Even if we once regarded the Messiah that way, we don't do so any longer. Thus, if anyone is in the Messiah, there is a new creation. Old things have gone, and look, everything has become new. It all comes from God. He reconciled us to himself through the Messiah, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is how it came about. God was reconciling the world to himself in the Messiah, not counting their transgressions against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors, speaking on behalf of the Messiah as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore people on the Messiah's behalf to be reconciled to God. The Messiah did not know sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might embody God's faithfulness to the covenant. So as we work together with God, we appeal to you in particular, when you accept God's grace, don't let it go to waste. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, pray that you would be within us as we reflect on Paul's words and as we think about the truth that we can overcome this cycle that we're gonna see in just a minute. That there is a way to live in truth, but also in relationship with you from this moment forward. So be present with us in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, no matter where you are, amen. So as we read that, I wonder if you noticed, Paul is not arguing theology. 
he's not being philosophical. He's not even teaching. He's making a plea, a simple claim that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. So he's saying, then live it. Live as the reconciled person you are because you are now a new creation. So let the old go and embrace the new. You see, that is the heart of salvation, not just that we have secured a room in the heavenly mansion, but that we are participants in the coming kingdom of God even here and even now. Our salvation in Christ has an effect on this life and on the next. But as we've discussed, this is really difficult for us. It's difficult because we get stuck in our own heads. We're rational, we're logical, we're scientific. We gather knowledge. We spend so much time in our heads that we often forget about our hearts. You see, I think the reason that we get stuck in this pattern is because we rely too much on our heads. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not arguing for ignorance. I'm not anti-science. I believe our intelligence, our curiosity, our creativity, they're gifts from God. And our brains, the brains he created, these fascinating, complex universes, these things that we still don't understand, they're a gift. But the truth is, when we get stuck in our own heads, the good news of Christ's saving work, it loses its power. Because eventually, even after receiving the gospel, we find ourselves right back here. We find ourselves right back in that sin, in the shame, in the selfishness that comes with it. That's where the cycle takes over. You see, my sin convinces me that I'm not worthy of God's love, that I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness because I'm hanging out right here all the time. Now, occasionally there's these moments when, when I do come to Jesus, when I do accept his love, the truth of the gospel, these moments when I remember, but then eventually I begin to rely again on my own strength rather than on his, and I find myself right back here again in sin and in shame, unworthy to receive his love and forgiveness. One author said it like this. He says, we involve ourselves in a bewildering kind of double think about salvation, telling ourselves one moment that it all depends on God and then the next moment that it all depends on us. We are so hot and cold. Sunday mornings can be a time of great reliance and commitment to Jesus. But oftentimes by Monday morning, everything has changed. I think what's even more frightening, this, this cycle by its nature, it convinces us that it's all about us. Jesus is here, we are here. And when we spend all of our time here, it becomes all about us. It could even leave it, lead us away from God altogether. It could convince us that our most pressing need is not to be reconciled with God because of our sin, but to be reconciled with ourselves because we just suffer from low self-esteem. You see, it's a terrible 
and tragic cycle, and I think it's one that every one of us gets caught up in. But here's the good news. It's, it's not what God intended. We weren't just supposed to live life in this loop. There is another option for us. There is a way to break this cycle. That's what Paul is saying to us in this passage. Because in Christ, we have been made new. We are free. We are now a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. We are meant to live in the love of God. We are meant to have a reconciled relationship with God and then bring that reconciled relationship with God to others. There's a friend of mine uh, who wrote a book recently called Sacred Pace. Uh, his name is Terry Looper. He's the founder of Texon Oil and he tells the story of this major breakdown in his life and then subsequently a come to Jesus moment that just changed everything. It saved his life, it saved his marriage. It even expanded his company in ways that he couldn't have even imagined. Now Terry talks about this move from head knowledge to heart transformation. As he began to evaluate the state of his heart, the truths of his life and faith, the deep difficult truths began to be revealed. He tells it like this. He says, I began with these questions first. Do I believe in God at all? Do I believe in God in general? Do I believe that he doesn't lie and that he has good plans for me? We all know people who have let us down. Is it possible though that the one who knit me in detail in my mother's womb could be reliable? I decided, why not give him a chance? Then second, do I believe that his word, the Bible is fundamentally true giving an accurate account of our world, our hearts, ancient history, and the life and teachings of Christ. I wasn't clear on all the details, he said, and I still have questions about certain things. Overall, was I convinced that the Bible tells it like it is? And then he goes on to say this, because I could say yes to those two questions, because I could affirm these two things, the words and truths and principles of God were already in transit from my head to my heart, which is the farthest distance in the world. As long as they stayed only words on a page, just verses clanging around in my head, they had little to no impact on my life or my decisions. But once I absorbed them, they strengthened me like nutrients to my soul. It's my favorite thing that that old country boy says, and he says it all the time. The farthest distance in the world is the distance between his head and his heart. That speaks to me. I can resonate with Terry and, and earlier with what Sabrina said, because God first captured my mind. He got me through education. And that was good. And it convinced me that, that God was real and that his gospel was good news and that it was true. But it wasn't until he pierced my heart. It wasn't until what was planted in my mind took root in my heart that everything changed. Because that's when I finally longed for something more than just information about God. I finally longed for God. I didn't just want to know about him. I wanted to know him. 
Terry goes on to say this. He says, change comes and faith rises when you live out the truths of God. You simply have to try. Now he doesn't mean that you have to try to be good because you can't. He means that you have to try to overcome that cycle and allow the Holy Spirit to bring you into that new creation life. Let's think of a practical example for a moment. Think about somebody that you've been at odds with. Maybe it's somebody right now or maybe it's something from your past. Some broken relationship in your life. Now think about what it took or what it might take for that relationship to be repaired, for the two of you to be reconciled again. So now imagine that all you ever do is think about it. That all you ever do is think about reconciling. Maybe you go and talk to other people about it. Not even gossip. Maybe you're talking about how great it would be if that drama was in the past and you were reconciled to that person once again. But still, all you're doing is thinking about it and talking about it. What will that accomplish? I can talk about reconciling with somebody all day long. I can understand, theoretically, what it means to be reconciled. But if we're never actually reconciled, if there is no action that repairs what is broken, if everything stays in my head and never travels to my heart, then who cares? What does it matter? It's just a bunch of words and ideas. You see, I think that exact thing happens in our relationship with God. That, that happened to me. I could teach Bible and theology. I could make solid arguments for creation, for resurrection. But it was all talk. And honestly, it got me nowhere. I was still stuck in the cycle of sin and shame and my life was no different. I was the same person that I had always been. I just knew, I knew more stuff. I had learned fancy ways to talk about that stuff. It made me sound like I knew what I was doing. Maybe I knew what I was talking about, but I had no idea what I was doing. And the problem was rooted in that difficult truth that I shared from the start, I couldn't fix myself. No matter how much I knew, no matter how much I learned, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't fix myself. The only hope I had was in surrender, in giving up the lie that if I try to be good enough, if I spend enough time reading and learning that God will be so proud of me that he'll bless me because of what I've done. That's a lie. I forgot the simple and profound truth that God doesn't love me because of what I do. He loves me because he loves me. (laughs) Like, I really need you to hear that. God does not love you because of what you do. He doesn't love you because of who you happen to be in this moment, good or bad. He loves you because he loves you, period. You are worthy of his love because he decided you are worthy of his love. Not because of anything you've done. And as one of my friends likes to say, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Our first value being a people who are biblically literate, it's vital. We have to understand the truth of scripture. We have to know God's word if we're going to experience God's love for us. But on its own, it's not enough. We can't stop there. I could know all the details about my wife. 
I mean, over the years, I mean, and it's been a lot of years at this point, I know all kinds of things, her favorite clothes, her favorite kind of coffee, which is really hard to find, actually. I found some at Kroger the other day, and I bought like four boxes. I became a coffee hoarder because she loves this particular type of coffee. I finally found it, and I just, I bought them all. I can know everything there is to know about her. I can know all the details about her. But if I'm not interacting with her, if I'm only thinking about her and not actually living life with her, then it's not a relationship. (laughs) Honestly, it's kind of creepy. It's like being a stalker. We're We're not invited to creep around. We're not invited to stalk God, just learn about him. We are invited into a deep relationship through which we come to truly know him. It's easy to be a friends, it's easy to be friends with a million people on social media and know all the stuff they're doing. But the friendship isn't growing because you're not doing that stuff with them. And it's the same thing with God. It's easy to consider ourselves friends of God the more we think we know about him. But if we're not living life with him, then honestly, what's the point? We are invited into a deep relationship through which we come to know him and experience life with him. So that's why our second value is the call to be a people who are spiritually formed. Now, spiritual formation, it might be new language for some of you, but the truth of it is this. Spiritual formation is simply the process of taking what's in here and then traveling that farthest distance in the world so that we are transformed in here. That's all it is. It's a journey that is truly the farthest distance in the world, but it's a simple journey from here to here. So what, what do, what do we do? Well, every week, and I think she mentioned this last week, but every week Sabrina prepares and records a guide through a spiritual formation practice. Now, these aren't exercises in being good. They're not exercises in attaining more head knowledge. They're focused on guiding us toward a posture that will turn our focus away from ourselves and back toward God. They're practices that have been used for centuries in the Christian church that can help us break this cycle by reminding us of God's love, of how he provides for us, reminding us of his forgiveness, They remind us of the present reality of his salvation. I'm sure you all understand this. When things get difficult between Jennifer and I, when things are tough at home, every single time, it's because we are not focused on one another. We're focused on ourselves. We're distracted. We get focused on other obligations. And we don't stop and take time for each other in the way that we need to. It is no different when it comes to God. When we are trying to travel that impossible distance between our heads and our hearts, we have to commit and we have to give it time. Thankfully, there are things that we can do that can help us. That's what Terry means when he says change comes and faith rises when you live out the truths of God. You simply have to try. You gotta give God some time. You don't have to try to be good. And you don't have to try to save yourself. Those are both foolish errands because they're impossible. Trying simply means returning to the foot of the cross, 
giving up that belief that you can save yourself and let God do for you what only God can do in and through you. And spiritual practices are just exercises in surrender. That, that might be the best way to describe spiritual practices. They're simply exercises in surrender. And in a battle, when we are at war with the creator of the universe, the honest truth, surrender is our only option. So we offer these practices to you every week. And we'll continue to offer them even beyond this season of separation because they are really important. They're important to us as a church, our values, but they are important to us as individuals. So we offer them and we invite you to simply spend some time with Jesus. Use these practices so that you can get to know him better. Not only in here, but in here. Paul said, remember that in Christ, you are a new creation. You have been reconciled to the Father. And listen, the verb tense matters. You have been reconciled to the Father. So believe that in here, not only in here. And then live that truth every day out there. When you do that, you will be an agent of reconciliation, just like Paul said. You will be a person that's being used by God to restore his relationship with others. I mean, honestly, there is simply no more important job in the world. There's no greater gift than the opportunity to be used by God to do the work of God, even here in the midst of this broken world. if we can simply turn the focus of the camera away from ourselves, back toward God, so that he can show us the needs of others. That's the great hope of the world. The responsibility lies with us. The weight of that responsibility is God's. He will guide us through and show us the way. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to walk through just these weeks that are just difficult and exhausting and tiring, just day after day, sometimes it just feels like we can't get a break. God, especially in times like this, we must remember your goodness, your provision, your promise, your faithfulness, your love. God, help us to be a people who don't get so caught up in the brokenness of this world and everything that's going on around us that we forget the beauty of the kingdom of God. That we forget that that kingdom has already begun its invasion when Christ came 2,000 years ago. That kingdom continues to invade even today. Now, through your Holy Spirit, in and through us. And then we anticipate with joy, the truth that one day that kingdom will be made complete, that all the sadness and brokenness of this world will be wiped away, that you will be with us, we will be with you, that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, because you will have finally made all things new. So in the meantime, give us the courage and the strength to persevere. Guide us on that journey from our heads to our hearts. 
Help us to truly understand the value and the importance of our spiritual life, our daily walk with you, that Christianity is not just a set of ideas, it is a relationship that we have been invited into, not because we're worthy, but simply because you have invited us. And we are loved simply because you love us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.